Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Now, we've all heard of the legend of Atlantis. Pure fantasy. Well, that is where you'd be wrong. That young thatch gets crazier every year. I can prove Atlantis exists. I'm sure of it this time. Milo James Thatch. I'm acting on behalf of my employer, who has a most intriguing proposition for you. It's the Shepherd's Journal. This journal is the key to finding the lost continent of Atlantis. I'll never believe you. I will find Atlantis on my own. I mean, if I have to rent a rowboat. This is exactly what I wanted to hear. But forget the rowboat, son. We'll travel in style. You're going to need a crew. Yes, Mr. Thatch. Well, you'll need engineers and, and geologists. Got them all. The best of the best. Gaetan Moliere, geology and excavation. Audrey Ramirez, don't let her age fool you. The name's Sweet, Joshua Sweet. Medical officer. Vincenzo Santorini. Demolitions. Hey, look. I made a bridge. Yeah. Tenant, take her down. Diving officer, submerge the ship. Dive! Dive! Like all our chances for survival rest with you, Mr. Thatch. You and that little book. So let's not my Once again, joining Sharon and I, Daniel Floyd. Atlantis came about when it was decided by Don Hahn, Kirk Wise, Gary Truesdell, and Tab Murphy over many Mexican appetizers in the celebratory aftermath of Hunchback that they just don't make exciting adventure movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark anymore. More to the point, while Disneyland's Fantasyland section had received fairy tale after fairy tale in their animated film department, the nearby Adventureland had only the memories of the early 1950s live-action films like Treasure Island and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. They wanted to swap out songs for explosions and serve an audience starved of adventure. In tonight's discussion, we're going to try to work out why this film didn't end up with more mass appeal. Because I don't get it, folks. I don't get how this could be released and not make much money, how Treasure Planet could be released two years afterwards and make almost no money, while Pirates of the Caribbean makes a bajillion dollars. Don't get it. Possibly just the stigma of animation. Is that all? I think there are some other issues as well, but okay. no, we'll get to we'll, it. We'll, we'll get into it, because um, this one's very much inspired by uh, the, uh, the writings of Jules Verne, and they've, uh, uh, they've got like, that, that, that aesthetic... Um, in there, of the, they, like their their submarine is a tribute to the Nautilus for all the 
three minutes it's on screen. And um, what they wanted to do was like a journey to the center of the earth type adventure. And they somehow managed to situate it so that they can sort of like they can go down and under and then up towards an air bubble wherein Atlantis is underground. And originally the film was going to be a lot longer. I think part of why people may have disengaged is that they get to Atlantis pretty quick and then they get to the big final end sequence again very quick. And because, and this is just a theory, Princess Kida is only on screen for all of like 20 minutes tops, there's not really enough time for her to develop a relationship with Milo before she turns into a flag. I'm going into like the structure of the film immediately from the get-go, but this is just, you know, this is me looking at the film just as it is written blow by blow. And then Milo's got to get her back and thus save the city, and and he does. There's a pew-pew-pew type uh, sequence, and wicked James Garner... Um, uh, betrays the group and in the midst of all that you get to meet this wacky group of Joss Whedon style characters because Joss Whedon co-wrote it to begin with and then he went off to do other things but there's very much the fingerprints of Joss Whedon in there and one of the three main conceptual artists for it was Mike Mignola creator and writer and main artist of Hellboy who's one of my favorite artists of all time. So you, on the one hand, you've got Joss Whedon. On the other hand, you've got Mike Mignola. If Guillermo del Toro had directed this, you might have my favorite film ever, provided he wrote it as well. It's, we're still in that era of somewhat desperate experimentation for the studio in a time when 3D animation is just starting to come in and steal Disney's lunch. And Shrek is coming out of right around this time, I think. So it's, it's really between Pixar and DreamWorks output collectively. Even if Pixar is not directly competing, mm. Disney is getting very seriously overshadowed at this point. Yeah. And there are a lot of individual elements that I really like about this film. I, if you were to describe this movie to me, and I hadn't seen it yet, I would be beyond excited. Like, okay, it's... <laughs> Traditional two D animated, yeah. Traditional two D animated Disney film from the guys who made Hunchback and Beauty and the Beast. That's mm. exciting. It's a Jules Verne esque sci fi adventure set in 1914 with a team going on an expedition to find Atlantis. That sounds awesome. It stars, it stars Michael a young J. Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fox playing a young, uh, awkward fish out of water type hero guy who dreams of going off for an exploring. And he's a cartographer, and just everything about him suggests that we're going to... Like, he's got a bit of Guybrush Threepwood to him. Hang on, yeah, let me say that again. Yes! <laughs> I kept thinking, who does he look like? Who does he remind me of? You are exactly yeah. spot on, he does. If Indiana Jones was much more like Guybrush Threepwood, this is basically your character. Yeah. And yeah, and Leonard Nimoy's in it, and that's that's exciting as well. Magnolia helped design its aesthetic. James Newton Howard is doing the score. This movie sounds awesome. Yeah, it all is of a these fantastic elements. Oh, Joss Whedon yeah, co-wrote it as well. Elements. Just so you know, yeah, <laughs> and that as well. It's and there's a, a team of fun quite characters. Come together. Yeah, the, and the end of it, in the actual film itself, something about it doesn't quite come to it come together. Like you said, it's got all these awesome pieces, but they don't congeal together quite right into a great movie. And it is really hard to figure out exactly why. Well, when's it at the top of its game for you guys? What, what are your absolute peaks? If you were to look at uh, what's your engagement, not necessarily excitement, but engagement levels as a line diagram while watching the film starting at minute one and ending at the, uh, the finale, when does it spike? Where are the mountain points? For me, I think a lot of it is... Um, the interaction between the team when they're first all brought on board. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and as the when they first meet each other, down, and then when they're going through under the earth, yeah, exactly, yeah. The the little moments that happen between them as they're getting to know each other, or rather, as Milo is getting to know them. Um, then them exploring Atlantis and which bit the specifically visuals. like there's the, the, the like well, the, when they're the, going through the underground bit or they're sort of swimming around section when they actually um get to the city and um Kida takes them in and you get this this visual sweep of these beautiful um monuments and the the whole I kind of understand why they did the little bit with Atlantis at the beginning where you get to see it actually uh, destroyed and sink. And it's incredibly important to the story. <laughs> it raises more but questions it almost, than it answers. <laughs> it, it does rather, but it, it kind of almost spoils the reveal yeah. of seeing it for the first time. Yeah, the idea being, is Atlantis there? Well, obviously Atlantis is there. It's called Atlantis. We saw it go that, down. There's always that possibility that Atlantis is just an idea. Yeah, I I like the concept. I like the idea of the other alternative opening they had. The Vikings. I don't know if, like, I can't decide functionally if it would have worked better or if it would have possibly caused some other little story uh, engagement problems. But conceptually, I love the idea of, yes, like a Viking ship centuries ago, like, stumbling upon the area where like the uh atlantis is that atlantis is beneath and having that ship being destroyed by the same big monster the machine creature yeah but by that same machine that eventually attacks the sub mm. that creates a there's something definitely down there and there's something there's it's still mysterious yeah. and interesting and it creates a much longer history of this of this place's presence so it has some it has some benefits but maybe i think the reason they wanted to do away with that intro is because you then Kida is present on screen even less time, yeah. and there's no time for you to kind of get that initial connection with her and who she is and all that from the get-go. So it, it's a trade-off, and I'm not sure which one's more valuable. So they show you her when she's a little 400-year-old girl, and um, you engage with her so that then when you see her pull up her mask later, everyone in the audience goes, oh, so that, that's the little girl from the beginning. <laughs> and then they're like, how is she still alive? It's been 8,000 years. And um, yeah, that's never actually answered. But uh, it does, uh, you know, raise rather disturbing questions about, so hang on a second, she's 8,000 years old, Milo's in his 20s, he's going to grow old and die in a blink of an eye for her, uh, unless what? I assumed those crystals were part of what were preserving their their eternal life, basically. Ah, assumption. The The best kind of sci-fi. Having been given a crystal and staying within yeah. Atlantis, Milo would live forever from the point at which, or well, maybe not forever, because obviously they do age and die. Um, but he would live extended hmm. by virtue of the crystal. That makes the ending of the sequel even more interesting. We'll come, we'll come back to that at the very end of this one. But uh, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't. I did mean to diverge there. In Thor, for example, uh, they get to about. Say they're uh, early to mid twenties, and then they eat from the fruit of the blah blah tree, and that keeps them young for thousands and thousands of years. No real explanation as to why Frigga and Odin are in their fifties and sixties, but uh, you know, whatever. Like uh, maybe they wanted to be older. To, to <laughs> ruling show ages you, I guess. Ruling, yeah, uh, but um, I think it's just that they're as old as Jack Kirby wants them to be. 
Yeah. But um, it's, it's a little thing about it. But it also puts the Atlanteans in a very much state of arrested development. They have to go down there and then they stay down there and they don't do anything. And they based the, the fact that they forget about their culture and they forget about their own language. They based that on the Egyptians. But why? What, how would you counter that one, Sharon? Because basically when Napoleon came to Egypt, the Egyptians were wandering around with the pyramids around there. And they were like, we don't even know what these things are. Well, my argument on that, and I, I don't know how accurate this is because I don't know how much access to it the Egyptians had at that time, but if they didn't have the equipment that was necessary to get into the pyramids, if they um, weren't exposed on a daily basis to the um, the artwork and the, the crafts that were down there and um, you know all the, the hieroglyphics language, if that was all on stuff that was buried then there's no reason that they would have to to investigate it or explore it if they didn't even know it was there if they didn't have the facility to get to it the atlanteans are surrounded by their culture their supposedly lost culture every day you're seriously telling me that for eight thousand years inquisitive teenagers if nothing else weren't looking at this stuff going hmm i got I a crystal there's means. a hole there it's crystal sized yeah, but also you stick it in they... and it's like oh you didn't turn your hand right and left and like well hang on a second kid sticks a thing in there and then jiggles his hand in every single possible direction until eventually it, it's gonna work at some point by fluke but also, if you look at the fact that they've they've been down there eight and a half thousand years, they've been alive eight and a half thousand years. Now, I do understand that in a life that long, you're going to forget some stuff, but you're not going to forget how to read and write, especially not when you're surrounded by. That's a good point. The Egyptians were not eight thousand. No, no. I mean, Kida's father, if nothing else, he's he's their king. You're telling me he didn't remember. Oh, I mean, unless he blind. was deliberately he was trying struck, to bury it. He was struck blind by the uh, the actual light from that uh, that destroyed Atlantis. The uh, whatever happened to cause the immense tidal wave. I'm reminded. And everybody of, else who could read and write at that time. They didn't say because reasons. Which brings me to uh, a chap on my Twitter feed called Joseph Knight uh, asked, did you notice it's exactly the plot of Stargate? It mostly is. In Stargate, they're trying to help them to get away from the oppression of the evil aliens who are their sort of Egyptian-style overlords. Uh, In this, that's not the case. It's actually exactly Avatar, a film which did bajigagillions just a few years later. I don't know what it would have taken to turn Atlantis into Avatar, but I think the way it was presented meant that most of the girls who went to see it for the romantic subplot, this is Avatar, uh, um, would have rejected the film outright because it was a cartoon. And most of the boys who went to see it because it was a James Cameron-style Aliens action film would have rejected it because it was a Disney cartoon. Obviously, those girls and boys that transcend gender norms and interests, this doesn't apply to them, and they would be about the catchment of the Atlantis audience. Sharon, you pointed out that the reason people went to see Avatar was not the um, plot, which was, by the way, basically taking uh, Atlantis plus Pocahontas 
and sort of mixing in a bit of aliens. And it, it made me realize that in Avatar, the fact that he te- like has to inhabit the body of a Navi is entirely coincidental. He could just have been like Milo and turned up as a human and said, look, here's how you do the thing and become the best uh, Atlantean slash Navi ever. It, it, with Avatar, it really just came down to the fact that it was this incredibly... Uh, vivid, vividly realized, colorful 3D world and that massive 3D gimmick, uh, gonna call it a gimmick, uh, was what brought people in such droves to the cinema. But if, if it's the same story here, effectively, uh, he's, he's coming along and he is teaching the Atlanteans how to be Atlanteans. And at the end of it, they're all flying around on those machines. By the way, uh, if you've never flown those machines for 8,000 years, Probably best not to get them all up in the air with a bunch of Atlanteans learning to fly all at once. (laughs) Terrible mid-air collisions and, uh, uh, you know, above enormous pools of lava. It's just going to end in tears. Yeah. It's it's not... One of its problems may be that even though it doesn't have exactly the same story, the same story beats as any other like individual thing we can name it does have a lot of very familiar story beats that we mm-hmm. can refer to a lot of other ones so we're not necessarily getting being surprised by a whole lot of, we can probably predict where a lot of the story is likely to go yeah. which not isn't gonna doesn't ruin a film they, they i mean you could still have a somewhat predictable film that's still wonderful to watch it also does have some pace issues it it cranks along at a lightning pace a little too fast sometimes you, yeah. you've yeah. barely got time to adjust to kind of milo as the unwanted academic guy who's with the nutball Atlantis theories yeah. before he's whisked, whisked away. away. Like, you're, you're going on a journey. I am. Yes, you are. Bye. Uh, yeah. And then you right, you're on the ship. Go Luke Skywalker bit where he goes and stands and watches the binary sunset and goes, I wish, I wish, I wish I could go to Atlantis. We have to want, he has to sing his Howard Ashman song. If only I could find Atlantis so that we want to, him to go. But instead he is given this narrative contrivance of, a, oh, you didn't have to earn this at all. I was friends with your grandpa. Here you go. Off, just, you know. Like, it's we, all ready to go. You yeah, leave tonight. It's all ready to go. Yeah. I've literally taken care of everything, including your cat, which yeah. people don't actually really respond well to because it's, it's not, there's no conflict there. There's nothing to overcome. The only thing to overcome is like everyone's saying, um, yeah, you're, you're not, uh, you know, we, we discredit you. Like David Ogden, Ogden Steers turns up for a brief moment at the beginning and sort of, you are a worthless street rat <laughs> um, in that kind of that way. But like, would it not have been better? And this is me, obviously, with my, you know, here's how to do it, Disney. Structurally speaking, to have Milo pitch this to people, have them all file out and to have, now that's Stargate. That's actually in Stargate. At the beginning, like he, like he pitches it to them. They all fall out. There's one old woman left at the end. She comes down and she says, come with me. I'll take you to the Stargate. That's contrivance as well. God damn it. Well, whatever. If it's done well, though, like if it's, if it's, and if it would have worked better for this film <laughs> than what, than, than what they currently have. Then- I mean, I love John Mahoney and he's got a great kind of character, but he should have been in the whole way through. It should have been his story. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm dying, Milo. I got to Suddenly I'm good at John Mahoney. I, I'm not long for this world. I, I've always dreamed of seeing Atlantis. And it's not because they have the secret of eternal life like in Prometheus, because that's a bullshit fucking reason. I want to just see it because I've always dreamed of Atlantis. And, you know, he goes with them, and um, he'd be a great character, albeit basically Lance Henriksen in Alien vs. Predator. And it would also allow Milo to sort of 
interact with him like he would have with a grandfather who is now sadly gone. So Milo's missing a grandfather. Maybe he's missing a grandson. You've got a dynamic there. Instead, that sort of like um, father-son dynamic ended up in Treasure Planet, which is actually one of the best aspects of Treasure Planet. But um, but yeah, that, that would have been a great way to push it forward. Instead, he's like, right, I'm bankrolling this thing, but I ain't coming with you. It's like, really? Because it seems like it's going to be really exciting. <laughs> you might want yeah. To the point where Even I'd w- forgotten when we saw it that he w- didn't come with him. So when he wasn't there after the submarine sank, I was like, oh, he died. And then when he came back at the end, I was like, oh, he didn't die. He yeah, just I never mean, went in the first place. Sorry, Ken. Even with the same story, like, it just needed to, it feels like it just needs more room to breathe. The fact that he, you've meet, uh, what's his name, Preston Whitmore, and within two minutes, it feels like Milo's already on the ship and sent off. Like it just, it feels like almost as if the movie is going through the motions. Like, okay, we're this beat, this beat, this beat. Come on, come on, come on, come. On. We're trying to get to the to these other parts. Oh, my femme fatale came and fetched you for me. She's extremely trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, she needed developing like Christ. Like at some point, couldn't she have been like trying to, like not exactly full on Jessica Rabbit, but been trying to ply Milo to get some secrets out of him, and then it failed because Milo was sort of like going for Keto, and it's like, do you want to go with the good girl or the bad girl? Um, like just as an idea, but no. I think this is actually James one of Garner the throws films. her to her horrible death. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I think you've actually touched on one of the film's larger problems, and that is, I mean, aside from the pace, which hurts it, it's that so many of the characters are actually just comedy caricatures with no actual depth or relatable humanity to them. I mean, they're, they're good for delivering jokes. They're good for getting a few laughs, but they're not really built for a lot beyond that. I wanted My, to know more about them, definitely. Yeah, Milo and Keita have a little more substance to them, and that's good. But the entire rest of Milo's crew is all very one note. Here I am. Here's my personality. Here's my, here's the kind of jokes and humor you get from me. Now move the next, here's the next character. Here's their jokes. Here's the thing you'll get from them. Every time you go back to those characters, they are delivering their kind of funny line. And that's about it. And yeah, they have that one scene around the campfire that does at least get a little bit more of who the characters are. And that's good. You needed a lot more of that to really flesh them out. But as is, you don't feel attached to them. You don't feel any, worry for them when they're in a dangerous situation you don't I felt feel- attached to jim varney i love his voice that's well, yeah I'm, well it's because i'm attached to jim varney <laughs> <laughs> at the time that was because jim varney had died when we first saw it subsequently james garner died and then leonard nimoy then after the recording of this episode john mahoney died sad losses of wonderful guys But but yeah, like I think that hurts the film quite a degree as well. Even the lieutenant, oh, what's her name? The uh, femme fa- lieutenant Fatal is also is probably has the that's not her name. Is lieutenant probably the, she's her name's Helga. Okay, Helga. Uh, Helga probably has at least a little bit more interesting character stuff going on than any of the rest of them because she gets to Atlantis and shows some doubt. And, show, and shows a little bit of humanity trying to talk to the commanders. There's not supposed to be people here. This is, this is not what, we were, the, what was in the plan. And, but part of it is, and it's part of it's just for her design, but also even when she's trying to show a little bit of range and character, they've got this permanent expression affixed to her face. Mm. So she, this permanent 
sort of sultry sneer <laughs> that is the same expression for every single situation. So it makes her come off even more one note than her character and the vocal performance. Which and you can expand on that kind of character. I'm not you can, bad. Absolutely. I'm just drawn that way. Wish if you were to wrap it. <laughs> totally. In fact, I mean, like, The Mask is a really great way of, like, I mean, that came out um, several years before this, in fact, where you've got the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the gangster's mole, who's obviously the bad girl, and you've got the, you know, Ask Peggy girl, who's obviously the good girl. And they completely chuck that out the window. And actually, the mole's the really nice, sweet-natured one underneath, and the, the good girl's actually a liar. And selfish and horrible. So it's it's a really great... Like, they did that in The Mask, and there seems to be no real... Like, what do we know about Princess Kida? I know she's more interesting than most other Disney princesses, and I want to know more about her. But around about the time she starts getting really interesting, she freezes for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Jesus, what a It bad feels like idea. this movie just needs 15 minutes a- added to it. Just some extra breathing room, some well, extra no, it, time. It just needed, like, there needed to be a crystal that they steal. And Princess Kida should have been like, I'm emotionally involved with this. My people are going to lose power and we are going to die. I'm getting that crystal back. Milo, you're coming. You're damn right I'm coming. And then they save it together. None of this bullshit. I'm going to save the girl who's been turned into a crystal thing and is now a flag. That's boring it's so boring that sequence it's just pew 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 the action sequence is itself boring again because it's well one of the two characters who had a little bit more who you were more interested in is gone is a rock now and the other and the others are just not that interesting they are just flying around giving their one-liners and not being in danger <laughs> <I am mull. laughs> uh, fortunately that manages to not be entirely insulting to all french people because of the other french guy and, like, I don't hate these other characters, actually. Like, they're a little comedy. Gift. Like, Dr. Sweet is yeah, really like funny. Dr. I love his lines. His yeah. lines are amazing. But that's, that's all there is to him. There is literally nothing more than that one little person, like, goofy personality. This is a, actually a same complaint I have with Big Hero 6 to a, to a lesser extent. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, oh, fair damn, enough. Oh, damn, you just let the film down. <laughs> well, all right. It's, We've seen it now. It was just out very, very late in the UK. In fact, I believe it came out on American Blu-ray before it hit the United Kingdom. So I just bought the Blu-ray. It's better than this. It is, but I can see what Dan means. Okay. But it, is, it does still have a lot of the side characters are, this is this character and that's all they are, sort of thing. Including another T.J. Miller. Right. But, uh, but but yeah, I, I will let you watch it. It's, is it out there yet? It's, it's uh, out here it's, now. It's out in America on Blu-ray. It's actually cheaper for me to just buy the Blu-ray from America than to actually pay to go to see it in the cinema and then buy the British Blu-ray. Yeah. So I'm just going to do that if it's... Oh, it's region free. Oh, yeah. Going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Okay. Perfect. Done. Thank you, Ian, in advance. Well, this will be way afterwards, but thank you, Ian, for helping me with that. Hang on. Where were we? Characters. Are there characters? characters? There are. I mean, Audrey. I love that uh, that girl as a character. You know, my, my daddy wanted uh, uh, us to have. Uh, like he, he wanted sons to be like a heavyweight boxer and a mechanic. And like you know, it turns out her sister's a heavyweight boxer. And you know, she's middleweight. got uh, middleweight. Sorry, she's got chutzpah to her. And there's this one good bit where she has to weigh up: do I do the good thing or do I do the selfish thing? And there's really not much of the way in conflict. Basically, there's such a turnaround of like we were all good, now we are all bad. Now we have all decided that uh, you are nice, so we will stick with you. And it's like yeah. th- there's no conflict there. There's no kind of they should have been going over the bridge 
and just sitting there staring at each other in the car. You know, we all know this was totally the wrong thing to do. And they should have bailed out of that car. That should have been it. But instead, um, they're just sort of like, well, I guess we won't go then. But so there's, there's, there's no real sense of real conflict. And again, they... They whipped through it so fast. I think they even proudly said in the production, uh, um, uh, the excellent, by the way, um, like two-hour uh, documentary, um, this has like the most explosions in a Disney film. It's like, y- yeah, because we're going to be so starved of explosions in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Can't move for explosions. Spinal Tap is still going strong, and they've earned a distinguished place in rock history as one of England's loudest bands. But what Disney are really, really good at is giving us a, a small amount of really great characters. And it's almost like they went for too many characters and they like they all add up to like four good ones. <laughs> but because yeah. there's eight of them, it's too many. Maybe you're just in it for the money. 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 I'm going to say money. Attention. Tonight's supper will be baked beans. Musical program to follow. Mm. Who wrote this? Forget your jammies, Mrs. Packard. I sleep in the nude. You're gonna want a pair of these. She sleepwalks. My family owned the flower shop. We would sell roses, carnations, baby's breath, you name it. One day, I'm making about three dozen corsages for this pram. You know, the one they put on their wrist. And everybody, they come. Where is it? When is it? Does it match my dress? It's a nightmare. Anyway, I guess there was this leak next door of gas or what. Boom! No more Chinese laundry. Blew me right through the front window. It was like a sign from a god. I found myself that boom. What's Mole's story? Trust me on this one. You don't want to know. Audrey, don't tell him. You shouldn't have told me, but you did. And now I'm telling you, you don't want to know. Lightning bug done bit me on my set upon. Somebody's gonna have to suck out this poison. I don't know if I jump up at once. Jim Varney there, a man Larry the Cable Guy wishes he was. I'll be there between 5 and 12 if I can't get off the toilet. <laughs> or I can go to your place and use your toilet. Yeah. Get her done. Yeah. Yeah. I got a bone to pick you. Hold that thought. What is it this time, Cookie? You done stuffed my wagon full of busting with non-essentials. Look at all this. Cinnamon, oregano, cilantro. What not, cockadoodle? Cilantro. What is this? That would be lettuce. Lettuce! Lettuce! It's a vegetable cookie. The men need the four basic food groups. I got you four basic food groups. Beans, bacon, whiskey, and lard. I do like Cree Summer's Kida performance. Yeah. I really like her voice. Yeah. yeah I mean, all, of them, all of them are great vocal performances. It's just a movie seems to move a bit too quick, and a lot of them aren't given much else to do other than their, their gags. Have you got your pajamas, Miss Packard? I sleep in the nude. <laughs> I recognized her as being from My Two Dads. She was the judge in that. That's Florence Stanley. Yeah, it's, it's got some great lines in it. It's got a great sort of whippiness to it. Um, it whips too fast, though, as you say. It's, it's, um, yeah. it's 95 minutes long. Uh, a good 20 minutes of that could have been lifted out and replaced with something much more character-based. And yeah. maybe two or three of the uh, uh, the crew could have been dispensed with. If it had just been like three main characters who all wanted to help out Milo, 
that would have been great. Get rid of Mole. He's good fun, but he's he's a a walking filthy French man joke. Yeah. I mean, I think you can find you can find you can have a few disposable, shallow, one-dimensional comedy characters in there, and that's mm. totally fine. Like that, most of the great films we've been watching have those, and it's that's fine. Yeah. But you do need a few more that there's a bit more that there's a bit more to. So yeah, I think I think maybe combining a couple of them or losing one or two, and then just bringing choosing. Two of them, two more of them to really bring some more character out of, and I think yeah. Helga would have been a great one, yeah, a great option, totally. Especially if it had been like we're not sure which way she's going to go, you know, yeah. Like if if she had had been wavering uh, over um, uh, uh, James Garner's character, I can't even remember what his name is, Rourke, that guy. They Rourke. they didn't they wanted to make him not entirely evil, so they just made him a mercenary, which is really boring. And then he ends he up being this savage, I will destroy you for even trying to do this. And he's just the bad guy out of Avatar. Yeah, he is, he is very the bad boring guy as an antagonist. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, frankly, I would have preferred a Jafar type. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take the Atlanteans' power away, and it will all be mine. It wouldn't yeah, quite fit within that world, but... <laughs> make him more complex and... Yeah. And or just make him or really simplify him and make him just a full on interesting fun kind of Jafar villain. Half he's neither here nor there as is. Mm. Or maybe it could have come from within the Atlanteans. There's an, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, books of King Solomon's Minds, which is racist as all hell. Uh, you got the witch character of Gagool. Uh, if there had been maybe sort of an opposing priest uh, against uh, Kida's father, who decided, oh hell, I can take these crazy new machines and take the uh, Atlantis power source, which I happen to know how to unlock these secrets of, take it with my new buddy uh, Laboratoire Garner Paris. Sorry, what the fuck? Sorry, take it with my new buddy uh, James Garner. And we can go to the surface and rule those people. I mean, that would have been a great kind of way of, of, uh, of showing. But instead, it's like all the Atlanteans are nice and very naive. And then the, 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 the bad Americans turn up and take their stuff. And even then, most of the Atlanteans don't seem to be terribly involved. I say bad Americans. The, the ship sinks and the only people left are all the named characters and all the terrifying stormtroopers. What yeah, the th- hell? They're all standing around in these terrible, like, hell behind them. Yeah, that is another thing. Like, it's it's not a big issue because lots of action of, of adventure films do this, but having your a lot of your main cast given kind of their one-liners and being fun, big action adventure thing while all the expendable crewmen are biting it by the hundreds yeah. is, I don't know, feels a little bit, I don't know. Red shirts. Yeah, basically. And there's a lot of red shirts in the first half of this movie, especially. It's not a mess. It's not not. a mess. It's messy, but it's not a mess. It works when you sit and watch it as a film. It's engaging. Michael J. Fox is one of the most lovely, charming actors on the planet. And the bit when he goes, uh, gets extremely angry about what he's done, and that's his low point. And he he does his, like, fantastic Marty McFly-style angry speech. And then sort of just flops down. That's the the best moment for me. That's where I spike. That and the bit where you get to meet all of the um, the, the the fun characters. Yeah, and I had Leonard Nimoy's performance as well. It's also great. There is a great movie in here that mm. wasn't entirely pulled out of the marble. Yeah, it's it's still not fully formed, but it's there. When uh, Nimoy's character, the, the the king, dies, they were going to have him say something very deep and philosophical about, you know, you must save my people of Atlantis because blah, 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 and life and this and that. But he just says, save my daughter, which is a lovely kind of personal way for him to go. And obviously, we found out Leonard Nimoy had died. And then uh, two hours later, if that, 
We had to sit down and watch this. I barely held it together. Where is my daughter? Well, she... She... <clears throat> she has been chosen, like her mother before her. What? In times of danger, the crystal would choose a host, one of royal blood, to protect itself and its people. It will accept no other. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Choose? So this thing is alive? In a way. The crystal thrives on the collective emotions of all who came before us. In return, it provides power, longevity, protection. As it grew, it developed a consciousness of its own. <coughs> In my arrogance, I sought to use it as a weapon of war. But its power proved too great to control. It overwhelmed us and led to our destruction. That's why you hid it beneath the city, to keep history from repeating itself. And to prevent Kida from suffering the same fate as my beloved wife. What do you mean? What's gonna happen to Kida? If she remains bonded to the crystal, she could be lost to it forever. The love of my daughter is all I have left. My burden would have become hers when the time was right. But now, it falls to you. Me? Return the crystal. Save Atlantis. Save my daughter. It feels like if this film had had more adversity, maybe some people breathing down their necks in, in terms of like, you've got to get this, like, it's got to be really tight. Yeah, it, it feels like this film is the one that needed the midway halt production rewrite that like all you've got a lot of good elements here but yeah. something about it's not congealed like the first draft of toy story 2 or mm. ratatouille before brad bird took over or a bunch of these other productions that got halted midway it's not that the thing that was showing that the movie that got scrapped and redone was bad it's mm. something that had a lot of potential and was almost there but wasn't quite gelling for some reason and needed more time and this is this it feels like this movie just kept on going through and finished production and it turned out pretty good but wasn't quite all the way to greatness yet maybe they got joss whedon in the wrong order he came in uh, to the avengers after zach penn had already written the script joss took the script completely overhauled it and then they went with joss's version of the avengers it should have been the other way around for this as well. They should have like had an Atlantis script, brought Joss in. Joss could have overhauled it and made it the undersea serenity. Yeah. I, I wonder, it says that after he was off this, he moved on to other Disney-related projects. Which? I wonder if he was, this is when he shifted over to helping out with Toy Story. Really? This Possibly. must have been ages ago. Maybe. I, well, I mean. Maybe uh, he went from Toy Story to then this, because as I understand it, Toy Story, he was only on it for a little bit. Because oh, around this time, early on. it was it, it, like he was gearing up this. to start on Wonder Woman with uh, Warner Brothers. It may there may have been a couple of years in between. He had Firefly on the go, like a year after this came out. Firefly was two thousand two. Oh, you're right, but the timing doesn't work. You're right. Um, the Hunchback came out in ninety six, a year after Toy Story, and then the team started development of Atlantis. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, no. yeah that, he would have been a couple of years after Toy Story. I wonder what he moved on to briefly help with then. Yeah, because he was on something else, Disney. Let's check, shall we? Side note, this was recorded in 2015 before it came out. 
that Joss Whedon has been something of a dick. Because you can feel his fingerprints on these characters. You can feel you can. Like, he, he, like he wrote some little... You know, this is what, you know, a quirky thing about this character. Here's a quirky thing about this character. And they went, right, that's the entirety of their character. It's like, well, no, you've got to do more than that. No, 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 we've got it enough. That'll do. And it's like, well, yeah. we want to find out more. Yeah, some of Dr. Sweet's lines especially feel very, like, yeah, trust me, you don't want to know. Audrey, don't tell him. <laughs> you shouldn't have told me, but you did. And now I'm telling you, you don't want to know. Uh, writer, he's got credits on Roseanne, Parenthood, that's the TV series, Buffy, Toy Story, Alien Resurrection, to my chagrin, the screenplay for Titan AE. I need to see Titan AE again. In- interesting. Atlantis, Atlantis Milo's return, characters uncredited, Buffy, Firefly, Buffy, Angel, Serenity, Dr. Horrible, Astonishing X-Men gifted the uh, technically the, the, the comics he went on to do, which in a roundabout way relates back to Marvel. Then Dollhouse, Buffy, a Cabin in the Woods, Avengers, Much Ado, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., written by one episode, and then a, a little film called Age of Ultron, which we reviewed earlier this year. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess whatever other Disney projects he left to work on, he did, was not on for very long. Yeah, not enough to get credited on that. Maybe miscellaneous crew. Let's read everything he's ever done. <laughs> uh, Sharon, it, like you've hardly said anything about this this film. What do you, what do you think? Well, no, I mean, I think you between you, you probably covering most of the points that I'd want to make anyway. Um, it's like I said, it, it's it's got some elements in there that should really come together into something incredibly special, but doesn't quite manage to do it. Um, but there's some real heart to it that all the mess in the world can't quite cover up and i think for that reason it's there's a there's an appeal to it that it's very difficult to put your finger on um and i think it comes from the characters really the the individuals that are involved in this and i think you're absolutely right it's got joss whedon's fingerprints all over it if you if you told me this was the prototype for the firefly crew i would believe you Mm. but we said that about alien resurrection Maybe he's just had this group of people knocking around his head for years and years and years, and he's just never been allowed to realize it properly. Mm, maybe. Yeah. It it gives me a similar feeling watching it as Emperor's New Groove does, actually. You're getting to see the big, talented Disney studio making something very un-Disney, or just not something unlike what you usually think of as a Disney film, which is itself kind of fun to watch. It It's fun seeing them do... A uh, goofy, snappy comedy, and it's fun seeing them do a Indiana Jones esque sci fi adventure as well. I mean, I love the the aesthetic design of Atlantis and its culture, and the, the way the whole city looks. Uh, the the blue light playing into so much of the uh, just the otherworldly feel of it. Like the aesthetic is lovely. It's it's worth watching just for the fun. I can I can see why it is a cult hit. Just. Mike Mignola's uh, presence alone would probably be enough to make that happen. There's a lot to like, even if it doesn't all come together into a great film.
One thing I absolutely adore about that, I mean, I love Mignola's art. It's fantastic. One of the things that uh, is most appealing, he draws the clothes too big. They have like long stick-like arms, massive gloves, oversized, and these big coats on all the time, which always makes the characters seem like they're children playing at being adults. Like they're out of their depth, they're in these terrifying monster situations, and most of the time they're acting like adults, but it gives them just the right aesthetic. Like even Hellboy, if you actually look at him, his his arms and legs are, are, are pretty spindly, and he's got this massive whammer on one hand, but that's a tool. That's It's part of him, but it's a thing weighing him down. And they've always got these sort of like sloping down shoulders, like they're not these... They, they may have barrel chests, but they don't have this kind of like Gaston stance to them. And uh, that, that comes across in so many of the uh, characters here. I would like Mignola to be much more hands-on with this. Just to maintain it as a Disney adventure, but up the gothic side of things. Give it its own real personality. I can see what you mean by that uh, design, that, that aspect design of clothing and such. And I actually I find a lot of appeal in that as well. So, mm. The final shot, we're all used to it turning up in big CGI films, but it was a big deal back in those days. This was the most complex maybe expensive shot Disney had ever done. It starts out with these, you know, two full-size characters and then it pans out and pans out and then they get smaller and smaller and it's it's throwing more and more stuff into the scene and we take it for granted. The average person would watch this shot and take it for granted. They wouldn't go, wow, the complexity of that thing and how much has gone into it. We just, you know, we just assume that the whole thing's done with computers and that's that. Yeah, it's it's a lot like that... Um closing shot in Fantasia actually the long long pan that it's not like it looks amazing it's mm. it's a good looking shot and it's not like this one looks incredible either but it is yeah. if, if you know what is technically required to actually pull that off at that point in time with that technology it's very impressive yeah yeah I, I cannot think of a whole lot else to say about this movie like I, I definitely enjoy it it's not it's not one of the greats but uh, the likable elements that are in there are easily likable enough to at least give it to at least give it a try yeah agreed let's see imagine if this film came out today how different would it be what would they do with it hmm well it would be a 3d uh yep probably more of an f uh, a focus on romance because effectively they, they they would be the ones rehashing avatar at this stage i think yeah, they would possible. probably they, they would not make key to a flag I think that that was, they were just on the cusp of, of uh, like, now that Frozen has happened, they can't make the Disney princess the thing that needs to be rescued in the same way. Yeah, Akita would have been made more prominent. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if it would have had as much... I wonder if it would have had as much character to its design as it does. I'm, be, I'm thinking a little bit no. That it's partly just because it's how the a lot of these studios work, but the taking some of the like a uh, concept work and the design work of what a film is meant to look like and then putting it into 3d the 3d design uh, staples that we tend to go with tend to kind of homogenize the really distinct concept like aesthetic conceptual design of a lot of things that's why i mean a lot of people make the complaint that all cg films kind of look the same and to an extent they're kind of right there's something about just the way that we make and light and produce these things in a very similar fashion mm. that uh it'd be really expensive to try to figure out how to f- make a fully unique look at, like paper man is a film that looks very unlike your average 3d film but it's a yeah. very expensive one and coming up with tech to make that really unique look is very expensive and difficult and not something you can just be re- reproducing for every f- a new film every year but um i expect the distinct mignola 
um, look of this would be watered down somewhat in in uh, current 3D yeah, technology. Yeah, I mean, Mignola functions extremely well in a 2D plane. He has uh, almost like uh, what he uh, does is carved in stone. It has these sort of angles to it and uh, and, and the curls. But then you, you turn that into a fully fleshed out 3D object and you need someone like Del Toro to kind of like bring that into his world to make it real. Yeah. Mm. There are some designs that just don't translate to 3D super easily. Like uh, certain things that, let's say, Chris Sanders makes. Like yeah. tooth, like Lilo and Stitch, which we're going to get to later, very wow. much is his kind of looking film. And it's very distinct look and design to the characters. And it's great and it's super appealing. And... Uh, you get into how to train your dragon. A lot of the human characters are kind of hidden. Some of them are really unappealing in their design. I think T.J. Miller again. But uh, Toothless is adorable. Toothless is great, and Hiccup I think is pretty successful as well. Crudes, I haven't seen the film yet, but with their design, I think like his design turned into 3D sometimes just looks weird. Hmm. It's it's a weird it's a weird look, and it could still be made to look good. I think, but it uh, certain designed aesthetics translate to 3D better than others, I think. Yeah. be if they did Atlantis much the same way as they did it here as an adventure but they also kept it a Broadway musical I say kept it, it was never going to be a Broadway musical let's imagine it was where Milo's singing about how he wants to, you know, to feel like I belong. And Kida's singing about, you know, when will my people, like, you know, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there, God of Atlantis. And, like, have that in Atlantis. So you've got the action and you've got the Broadway. Now, most people would go, that's not going to work. It's not been tried. And just doing it with the action didn't work. I think it would actually bloody work. I think not only would it work, I think it would work so well that the boys would love it for the action, the girls would love it for the Broadway, and the boys would also secretly love it for the Broadway, and because the uh, girls are included in the action, the girls might like the action too. You know, that just would be a weird one. I, I, can't, I can't even picture it, but I'm, not gonna, I'm definitely not going to say it couldn't work. <laughs> They've not wait. tried it yet. But I mean, like, put it like this, Tangled has its singing moments, definitely. It's not quite the full-on Broadway musical, but it's definitely got musical numbers in it. I've got a dream, I've got a dream, and it's got action in it. So, how much extra of a leap is that, really? I mean, basically, that's adding action to a fairy tale environment. So you add Broadway, which isn't, by the way, specifically relegated to fairy tales, to an action environment, to a Jules Verne environment, to a very romantic environment, I might add. It's got all, like, it sweeps up the heart with this sort of lost civilization. 
we've seen Indiana Jones done. It's been done brilliantly in Indiana Jones. It's never been bettered. Raiders is just it. So why not? I mean, in Hellboy, they sing Barry Manilow. And that works! <laughs> I could see them go make, doing the halfway compromise and doing a Tarzan or a... Uh... But a no, that's Treasure Planet, where it's a, it's not sung by the characters, but there's a lot of musical moments. Have, yeah, but that's the, the Treasure Planet was again compromised. They didn't do it right uh, in in the way that I'm talking about here. You know, the, the girls weren't going. Oh, are you going to come along to this one? It's got John Resnick singing for Jim Hawkins. <laughs> no, because they were like, ugh, looks like a bunch of weird aliens and boy stuff. And it was, to be fair. Yeah, totally. That's, yeah. So how did they get the boys along to Frozen? Because they had a reindeer that thought it was a dog. Oh, speaking of things that think they're dogs, I'm now, like, super thinking about that whenever I'm watching films. Get spotted one in Dinosaur, that stupid Ankylosaurus that thinks it's a dog. And it's like, oh, that's easy and cheap. Then there's, uh, in Atlantis, Milo's Return, the sequel, there's, like, a weird Gila monster lizard thing that thinks it's a dog as well. Was there one in Emperor's New Groove that thinks it's a dog? Yes, actually, she kicks a uh, uh, crocodile. Why do we even have that lever? And it goes, because <laughs> it thinks it's a dog. That was just funny, though. It's just yeah, the, weird, was, it's, the weird wait. sound cue. But as opposed to like, you know, here's a character. Uh, basically, the, the, the dog dinosaur thing in Dinosaur is just a dog. It's not a dinosaur. It's a dog somehow transported in, in dinosaur form to a dinosaur world. And that's it. That's the joke. Much like Dino. The what the dinosaurs are and how they act is is all kinds of weird. Some of them are just dinosaurs, and some of them are people who are who are look like dinosaurs, and some yeah. of them are animals who look like dinosaurs. It's, and it's the another Lima one family, of those universes. like this 20th century sort of working class American family. Yeah, it's another one of those universes you don't want to dig too far into because it it falls apart immediately. Yeah. Where did they learn to speak like this? How are they speaking to each other? How come they can't speak to Carnotaurs? Yeah. Which, Where by the way, car- is a great name. <laughs> Where do the car's brains go? All that. So. Nice. Yeah. Okay, anyway. so ask me that question again. What? Where do the car's brains go? No, no, no. no. The, uh, the one about uh, Atlantis 2 Milo's return. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Um, so I know you've seen... Uh, no, you've got to say, I say Alex first. I say Alex. Yes. pt barnum was right by the way the Uh, uh, that reference that james garner's character says pt barnum was right is that there is a sucker born every minute uh, it's not specifically that this is a freak show i should be charging two bits of gander um anyway anyway so you have seen uh the sequel to atlantis and i've not and i don't want to i don't want us to spend a lot of time dwelling on it because nope, I'm sure it doesn't enough. deserve it but I'm just curious what happens in it well first off it makes you really appreciate the animation of the first one the animation of the of the, of the first is well framed and it's nice and it's 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 quite glorious at times uh, when you watch this you think oh my god like that this doesn't match TV shows like now like TV shows now look really good and mm-hmm. this isn't like matching that why were they even doing it like uh, why would Disney do something that looks this bad and like the first 20 minutes, they were trying to stop a, a, a sea creature from something or other controlled by a bloke. And then they're suddenly inland de- arguing with a cowboy about pottery and the pottery turns out to be from Atlantis. 
And I suddenly realized, like, when we were halfway into the second thing, oh, oh, it's a pilot. It's a pilot for a failed TV show called Team Atlantis or something. And yep. then the, the next third of it is they were dealing with Odin. And Odin, it's a guy who's crazy, and, and he, like, has this spear. And then they take the spear back to Atlantis. And I, I went to Wikipedia afterwards and checked, and it was like, yes, this is the beginning. It was the first three episodes of a failed TV show, which never turned into anything beyond a pilot, called Team Atlantis. And it was literally going to be a Monster of the Week, Scooby Gang type thing, where it, it sounds much more fun than it actually is. Imagine it with terrible animation. No, worse than that. No, worse than that. Okay, now think of the worst 2D animation you can possibly think of. Like I'm talking here, Eastern Europe's best mouse and cat team, Worker and Parasite. Worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell was that? That at least had some character to it. Anyway, so they bring this spear back to Atlantis. I'm like, a ho-hum, finish up, for goodness sake. And then they put the spear in the hole, and then that raises Atlantis up above the sea. And I went, oh. And then it sort of pans out and it does that same shot, only like with no money spent on it. And Atlantis is now suddenly at the top of the ocean and it's back to the surface and it's changed everything. And the status quo that was restored, sort of restored at the end of the uh, film, where, you know, with newly balanced and uh, it's, they've completely upended that. And suddenly Atlantis is in the middle of the sea. Now, I'm assuming this also means it was going to sort of grease the wheels for this TV show. So it's like they just they don't, they don't need to go under the sea anymore. They just turn up on a boat. And, uh, yeah. But think about what that actually means. They've got crystals that mean they can live forever. Apparently, you guys have inferred. How many people are going to be flocking to Atlantis to take what they've got suddenly now that it's unprotected? Yeah, that's actually the start of a much more interesting story. Yeah, but of course they hadn't really thought about it it was just like oh and then, but the end like the, the the i can't remember who was actually doing the voiceover but it was like and the world was never the same again it was much much better which is a really lovely way to end it and i went oh okay mm-hmm. it's nice and it kind of works in a kind of a star trekky way and if only it had been leonard nimoy to actually say that but yeah. uh, but no and so, yeah, that's, that's uh, Atlantis Milo's Return. You literally don't need to see it. Do not see it. You, can, you can't buy this on Blu-ray in America unless you buy it with Milo's Return as a two-pack. It doesn't deserve to be in the same box. It's appalling. It's atrocious. It's worthless. Garbage. Awful. Except for that ending, which you know what happens, so you don't need to see it. What, what I've described, what you imagined in your head is better than what it is even with the cheapest ima- uh, imagination. <laughs> so you yeah. didn't like it then? No, I didn't. Nice callback. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like Atlantis, and I, I, I always will, and I'm very glad I got it on Blu-ray. I wish that this didn't have to be part of the box. Um, and so maybe when it comes out on Blu-ray in this country, which it hasn't yet, I might just buy that and get rid of this one. And sell it as a very difficult-to-find limited edition on eBay. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, that the actual core film itself is is um, a muddled mess, but it has enough great fun little character moments and Jim Varney and um, Vinny the Explosives expert. He's fun. 
just, I mean, just like the whole steampunk aesthetic and like the, the, the they actually thought about where we'd be technology wise and they tried not to stretch it too far. They sacrificed too much. They, they sacrificed Whitmore as a character to be, make him into basically a taxi service. Uh, they sacrificed Kida to turn her into a flag and they sacrificed Helga because she was bad and had to die. But it's got Michael J. Fox being lovely. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a very difficult film to dislike. Uh, but I can also see why people would not have come out of that going, I have got to share this with everybody on the 2001 equivalent of Twitter. Yeah. yeah and at this point, Disney's Which I guess would have been work, MSN message boards. Yeah, no, Disney's work was very much getting overshadowed by this point. I mean, the Pixar stuff alone mm. was just taking the world by storm. And they were so... It would have Mon- been Toy Story and Bugs Life and Toy Story 2 by this point, right? Yeah. Monsters, Inc. had just come out, and uh, they were about to get into Finding Nemo, and people were about to fall in love with fish. And Disney had just done an under-the-sea adventure, which wasn't really under-the-sea at all. Yeah, I mean, even for the next, like, the last few great 2D films that Disney has coming up, and there are still a couple great ones, it's, like, it's just too little too late not enough and a lot of it just didn't even really register on the radar mm. which is point. atrocious in the in the case of lilo and stitch which really absolutely to be seen by billions yeah I, i'd say lilo and stitch which will be coming next time was like the last truly great brilliant disney animated film like like top tier disney animated film to happen until basically the revival of the very Fist brief the lived revival of 2D. Yeah. In 2009. Jeez. So that was Disney in 2001. It's yep. little and broken, but still good. Yes. Nice. Still good. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to do Lilo and Stitch. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Okay. Right. So uh, that's it for Atlantis. Hail Atlantis. Should we finish on that, that song? <laughs> Let's do that, shall we? I love James Newton Howard. He is capable of moving me like a lady in the water. The sixth sense. James Newton Howard is a powerhouse. But this is not one of his best. There's a lot of bombast and nowhere near enough heart. When he collaborated with Hans Zimmer on the the first two Dark Knight films, Howard was in charge of the quieter moments. I'll give him the main theme. The main theme is pretty triumphant and big and awesome. Like when you see the uh, when the sub first, like submerging underwater, and there's that big that big main theme blasting. That's pretty cool. The rest is uh, largely forgettable. Treasure Planet's much better. It's got that kind of. It's got the rolling ocean and adventure to it. Yeah, I think I, I by and large I prefer Treasure Planet to this, but Treasure Planet has something in it which ruins not only Treasure Planet, but all animation and all film forever. <laughs> it's Martin Short. Oh, okay. As Ben. My God, he's awful. He is the, he is the negative quality. He, he is he's like Jar Jar to the 10th power in that film. All right, bottle so, it up. We, we, we'll save it for... <laughs> let's save it for them. Can't wait. Okay. And School of Movies is funded by our loyal supporters on Patreon. And our $15 tier get named support credit, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finn Barnicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. 
We will be back next week with the beloved Lilo and Stitch. And you can check out Dan Floyd's video game animation shows on New Frame Plus on YouTube. Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shores those beautiful sailors journeyed to the south and the North Americas with ease in their ships with painted sails. To the east, Africa was her neighbor, across a short strait of sea miles. The great Egyptian age is but a remnant of the Atlantean culture. The antediluvian kings colonized the world. All the gods who play in the mythological dramas, in all legends from all lands, were from fair Atlantis. Knowing her fate, Atlantis sent out ships to all corners of the earth. On board were the twelve. The poet, the physician, the farmer, the scientist, the magician, and the other so-called gods of our legends. Though gods they were. And as the elders of our time choose to remain blind, let us rejoice and let us sing and dance and ring in the new. Hail Atlantis! Wait there!